the two cups of Jesus Christ that we see. And let's look at Matthew 20, chapter 26, uh, verses 36 through 46. And Jesus went, and I'm reading from the um, Lexem English Bible. When Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. And this Sunday and the next Sunday are two Sundays before Easter Sunday comes. Today I'd like to talk about the two cups. Next Sunday I'd like to talk about that week before Christ. And then Resurrection Sunday, I'd like to talk about the power of resurrection and what that means practically in the details of our life. But here Jesus says to his disciples, he has just finished the Last Supper with them. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And this place here is, is located near the Mount Olives. And olives are an amazing picture of resurrection and death, uh, the crushing, the uh, when olives are under incredible amount of pressure, they secrete oil, olive oil. And olive oil is what we put on our food. It is something that can be even medicinal. It's a smooth-tasting, uh, gentle um, oil that represents the comfort and the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit. Because the oil always speaks about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And here, it's, it's, it's unique and it's... It's significant that Jesus is going to go to, to Gethsemane and he's going to pray there. And what happens there is this, there's this incredible crushing that happens on Christ. Incredible crushing. And what comes out of Christ at this moment is so powerful. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus takes his disciples. And this tells us that as Jesus is approaching the moment of his death, the crucifixion, Something that he's very well aware of what's going to happen. He takes his disciples with us, with him. I'd like to say the first thing here is that whenever there is spiritual warfare, whenever there's difficulty, whenever there's trials that are happening that the rest of the world may not even know about, Jesus has his intimates. And I'm not saying that it's an elite inner circle of people, but it's a group of individuals that, like God said to Abraham, He said, my friend Abraham, shall I not tell him what we're doing? Jesus takes his friends, his his men, his disciples, and brings them into his trials, into his place of temptation. And he says, he's here while I go and pray. And taking along Peter, and then so he takes Peter and James and John, and he takes them into, um, into this place where he's going to pray. And look at this where it says, he began to be distressed and troubled. And he said to them, verse 38, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going forward a little, he fell down on his face, praying and saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want to say something here about this, that. When we read this, I think it'd be easy for us to think that Jesus is starting to have second thoughts. It's easy for us to think that Jesus is starting to get worried about uh, the physical pain and the torture that he's going to go through. I think it's easy for us to think that, that there is something about Jesus that is wavering in his resolve for the cross. But we can say, as a matter of fact, 100% for sure that that's not what was happening here with Jesus. Jesus was not questioning the Father's will. Jesus was not starting to back up. He was not starting to hesitate. 
what happened was, is that Jesus began to understand something that he had already seen and understood, but he began to see, even before the crucifixion began, he began to understand the cup that he was about to drink. He began to understand what was actually in the cup. I think that when you and I get into things in our life, like we say, let's have a kid, you know, we're gonna have a kid and then we're pregnant, then we have a kid and then we're like kind of into the kid and then like, we're like, oh my gosh, what do we decide to do, you know? Like if I had known it was gonna be like this, maybe we would thought twice about it. I don't know if you've ever done something that in your life, like you've entered into a commitment or into a plan and you're starting to get into it and you're like, kind of in your mind, you're starting to think like, what were we thinking when this happens, you know? And I think some of the parents are laughing because they know exactly um, what, what I'm talking about. But Jesus here, that's not what's happening with Jesus. Jesus is not getting into this and thinking, what have I decided to do? Like, what am I doing? This is insane. No, Jesus began to understand what was in the cup, the cup of God's wrath, what was inside of that, the bitter cup, that bitterness that was in the cup of the wrath of God. I think in Isaiah 51, verse 17, it's a, it's an, it's a telling verse about the cup of God's wrath. It says here, who have drunk from the hand of Yahweh the cup of his wrath. You have drunk the goblet, the, the cup of staggering. You have drained it out. This is talking about the cup and that what was inside the cup. The, inside was the cup was the wrath and the anger of God upon all of human evil in the world. You know, when we are there, and I wasn't in Ukraine, I didn't get to see this, but you can see it on the faces of the people that are coming out that are talking with, there's a lot of tears. I mean, every day there was tears and we were, you know, it just was it's something that I've never experienced before. And, this, and you see the level of human evil that can be unleashed in a world that seems like it's out of control. And then you can see here, God is storing, has stored up all of this wrath, all of his justice. God has stored up everything in this cup. God has waited patiently and he's waiting and, and, and millennia after millennia of just evil and sin and brokenness and, and just um, rebellion against God is being stored up in this cup, not for man to drink but for the Son of Man to drink, Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't understand that. We, it, we cannot even fathom the depths of what this is. And here's Jesus, the second Adam. The first Adam was told, look, if you eat of this tree of life, you will be blessed and I will, you shall live and you shall, you shall not die and, and, and life will be wonderful if you obey me, if you make decisions. And that's what God says to us today. If you make decisions with me for in the word of God, then I'm going to bless you. But then the second Adam, God says to him something different. He says, if you listen to me, if you obey me, if you walk in my will, you will die. <laughs> you will die. You will, be, you will be crucified. You will be murdered. You will, you will suffer the wrath of, 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 of my wrath. This was the second Adam. The first Adam lived in a beautiful garden. He got to enjoy uh, a sinless environment, an, an environment of innocence. And then the second Adam was born in a very broken, evil world, a world where he may not have even under, understood who, his dad. We don't read a lot about his dad, Joseph, later on in his life. Jesus is born into a country that's not free. It's under the bondage of the Roman Empire. Jesus is not born in a garden of Eden. He's born into a garden of death and brokenness and pain and murder. And yet Jesus says yes to God. And so he's, he's and Jesus is, is and I was thinking about it this morning and last night, 
Jesus here is he's walking up to the edge and he's peering over the edge into the abyss of the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's justice, the anger. And he knows very full well what's gonna happen. Jesus is not walking into this like, oh my gosh, Lord, I don't even know. God, Father, I don't even know what, what I was thinking. Maybe, could you, can we rethink this? That's not what Jesus is saying. His humanity is acknowledging what it's about to go through. Jesus, and this is something that's theologically important to understand, Jesus never leaned on his deity and his perfection to escape any form of human suffering. Jesus never leaned on his powers supernaturally to escape the the suffering that he was about to face. Jesus understood very well what was going to happen, and he's looking over and he's seeing a very dark, bitter cup, and it's getting dark, and he is here at Gethsemane, and he began to be distressed and troubled. He begins to dawn on him what is actually going to happen. And what is it going to happen? Was he afraid of the suffering? Was he afraid of the death? Was he afraid of, of everything that was going to happen? No, he understood very well what that was going to be. One thing that troubled him and greatly distressed him was this, is that his father was going to turn his back on him and he would not have communion with his father. Jesus could go through anything in his life because he would go to the... He would go to the Mounts and pray at night. If you ever want to read an amazing story about the prayer life of Christ, the book of Luke, which portrays Christ as a human being, has the most comprehensive chronicle of the prayer life of Jesus Christ in the book of Luke. And and Jesus as a man in the book of Luke is portrayed as a man who's praying and he's communing with his father. That's where Jesus got his, 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 his strength, his joy. He'd pray all night. And in the morning, he'd get up and he'd be, so re- he'd be so rejuvenated because of the communion with his father. He could go through anything. I was talking to one of the soldiers. Like, we have a few men in our church, churches in Ukraine that have actually been called out. And they're actually in the front line in Lugansk. And they can't really talk a lot about it because it's, you know, there's a lot of um, things that, that they have to just keep... Um, that they can't really be talking about on social media. But they said that it's very hard and it's, um, it's very dangerous. And, you know, as they're sharing about what's happening, there is this awareness and their wives are back home. And there's this awareness that life could end very quickly for them. And as, the, as he was sharing, as this one guy, um, um, Yura Chuhai was telling me, uh, he's one of our youth uh, part of our youth team, and he got sent out to the front line. He was telling me how there's such an opportunity to uh, say the most simplest thing about Christ and all the soldiers around them grapple, grapple onto this. And he was telling me, he said, we feel like we can do anything because we have someone next to us. We have someone present with us. We have someone that's, that knows what's happening. There are people that know, and just the fact that people know what's happening, this encourages us. But you know, in the Ukrainian and the Polish language, the word for hatred is very interesting. The word for hatred can be broken down into a, a, a couple words. To not see. To not know. Ninavidzic is the Polish word. that's Ukrainian. And it means to not see. And what is hell? Hell is the fact that people are in a place. And it says that after people go to hell and after the judgment, the white throne judgment, and, and we are in eternity and God wipes our tears away and he, and he, he, he heals our minds so we don't even remember 
those things and these people are in hell and they're not even remembered and people don't know that they are there. This separation from God. This is hell. Hell is real. It's a real place and we, we truly believe it because Jesus talked about it. And so these people are in hell. And, and what is Jesus here for hell? What is hell for Jesus here is that he's going to be for a moment on the cross. He's going to be without his father's communion. And because Jesus lives in a state of eternal eternity, it's not just a couple minutes of suffering for Christ. When Jesus is experiencing something, he's experiencing it from the perspective of eternity. Follow me here. And what that means is this, is that if Jesus experiences separation from God, well, we would say, okay, well, it wasn't five minutes, maybe an hour or two, and I just get through this. Jesus is experiencing this on an eternal level. Like he's, for, he's forever separated from God. He's beginning to see this. He's starting to see that, the, that Jesus in Romans chapter eight, verses one and two, and verses three as well, that he that was without sin became sin for us, Paul said to the Corinthians. And that Jesus would become, he would become guilty by association, not because he was a sinner, because he was without sin. And he would be separated from his father. And for us to understand the joy and the power of resurrection and Easter is this, is that we need to understand the severity of God's hatred and and anger towards sin and and the rebellion that's in the world. And Jesus began to understood this. And he said he was deeply distressed and deeply troubled because there was going to be a moment where he understood in Psalm 22 that the Lord would turn his face and that he would not have communion with God. You know, we can go through anything in our life as long as we get someone next to us. I mean, people that are married for decades and decades and decades, right? And then their spouse passes away. How often, how soon after that passing does the spouse, the second spouse, pass away because of loneliness? But Jesus here always had the Father's comfort and communion. He had the communion of the Father's comfort and love and mind in every trial and every difficulty. Yet Jesus here understands is going to go, and verse 38, 39, he goes a little farther, and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Luke describes this, this, this perspective of what's happening in this event is that Jesus was in agony, agony. And he, so he goes back in verse 40 to his disciples and finds them sleeping. He goes back to his disciples, his guys, just for, oh, just, just for some, like, here's God, here's Jesus in the flesh comes and say, like, he's looking maybe for some encouragement, but they're sleeping. And Jesus says here, he says, could you not stay with, awake with me for one hour? And the answer to that is no. I think sometimes we read this, we're like, okay, we gotta stay with, we gotta stay with Jesus for an hour. We gotta suffer with him. But the truth is when there is this, when there is this ultimate warfare for the future of mankind's salvation and these issues of salvation God always comes through in his integrity that he's going to be faithful. And man always does the same thing. We always do the same thing. We fail. (laughs) Every dispensation of the Bible, every period that we see in the Bible, God gives mankind a mandate. And then we see mankind fail that mandate. And then we see a, a redemptive God come in and bring in redemption and healing and salvation. Every time we see this happen in the Bible. And so Jesus goes back and he and he says, And he says in verse 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think sometimes we read that verse and say, you know what? I've got to be spiritual. And that's true. The spirit encourages us. But with the work of salvation, the work of salvation, the work that God is doing for us, for our salvation, for the package of our eternal security is that it's all Jesus Christ and it's not of man. 
the word here, weak, is not just weak, like, okay, I have a little strength. I can pick something up. I mean, I need a little help. God, help me. I mean, I, you, I'm doing my best, and I'm sure God's going to help me be saved. The word weak here means cut off. Absolutely, just, just, absolutely it's, it comes to a point where you're just like, there's nothing more that we can do. And this is why salvation in the book of uh, Jonah, chapter 2, it says that Jonah said salvation is of the Lord. And it says in verse, uh, verse 42, and the second time he went again and prayed and said, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will must be done. I love that. I love the intention that Jesus has in his heart. Your will must be done. What is the motivation here of Christ? What is the motivation of Christ to go through all of this? What is the motivation of Christ that supersedes the, the weakness, the, in, the, 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 the lack of gratitude the, the, absolute, the absolute rejection of everything that Christ did good, what motivates Christ? What is the motivation here when Jesus says that he was on the cross, he endured the contradiction of sinners, and he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him? What is that joy? I don't know if we can know that fully, because this is something between Jesus and God, and Jesus and the body of Christ. The joy that was before Christ when he was suffering, when he was being massacred on the cross, and I think that movie, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ, some people criticize that, but I think it gives a good picture of what Jesus went through in some graphic way. What was the motivation? It was the joy that was set before him. I really believe the joy that was set before him is mentioned just 10 verses earlier in this chapter, in chapter 26, and we're gonna look at that in a second. And he came back in verse 43, and he found them sleeping, for they could not keep their eyes open. Another another account of this in the gospels we see jesus comes to them and it says they were sleeping because of sorrow sorrowful they were sorrowful and i don't know if this has ever happened to you but when you're in the thick of it and you know like these guys are gonna be church planting and we really got to pray for them because this is not this is probably (laughs) this is not the this is this is truly anybody that has the guts to do it and goes through it is like i respect them high respect pray for their marriages you know I mean, it's incredible. But I said, if we, if we don't understand the big why of what we're doing, the joy that's set before us, that we're not going to make it. And there's just going to be this sorrow that comes in. There's going to be this wrestling. There's going to be this distress because, because if we don't have perspective and we don't understand the why, then we don't have the strength to go through it. Why does Jesus do this? Because he loves us. Because he's thinking about forgiveness. He's thinking about communion with you and I. He's thinking about that communion cup. And this is the first Sunday of the month. And usually we would celebrate communion. But we're going to do that Easter Sunday. And he comes back and he sees them sleeping. They couldn't keep their eyes open. I think that sometimes when we find ourselves in the middle of warfare, it's easy for us to get sleepy and sorrowful. You ever feel sorrowful and just dead and just oppressed and you don't know what's going on? Sometimes it's just warfare. And when that happens, we need to build ourselves and we need to draw near to the body of Christ. And then in verse 45, he said, are you still sleeping? Behold, the hour is near and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46, get up, let us go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is approaching. And Jesus leads them. There's three things that we can see here about Jesus' integrity. Number one, Jesus is who he is, the same as in the day as in the dark. Jesus' integrity does not change when no one's looking. Ours does. Ours does. We fail. We fall down. We falter. Jesus in the dark. 
is saying the same thing three times. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. You see the end of his human will and you see him absolute surrender to the cross because of the love of Christ. Number two, you see the, you see the integrity of Jesus's love for his disciples in their weakness. He said, you guys are cut short. You guys just, there's nothing here that you, and it's okay, there's no condemnation in Romans chapter eight, verse one. I'm gonna follow through this because I love you. I love you. And then the third thing we see is that Jesus leads them out. He doesn't leave us in warfare. He doesn't leave us in the places, and the disciples are totally oblivious to warfare, and yet Jesus says, let us go up and go out. Let us go out. Let us go forward. When we're in the middle sometimes of some real heavy stuff, it's hard for us to think that this could ever change. And Jesus says, let's get up and go out. Let's go out. I want to finish with this. There's a beautiful poem, and I like poetry. I like reading old, old hymns. I like, getting, I like to go back in New England when I lived in New England. There was a lot of these secondhand shops where you could buy these old books. And my wife and I would just go to these random places, and we'd always look in these old bookstores for just old, old books that were written before the 40s, before the human, the, the, this, this whole thing with... Um, you know, the humanism, the birth of humanism and, and secularism. And when you read some of these books, you can find some of these hymnals, hymnals that have hymns in there that we don't see anymore in modern day hymnals. And there's this one hymn by Ann Cousin. And it's, um, you know, I think about it's probably one of the most, um, one, of the, one of the hymns that I think about the most. Oh, Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. It's such a beautiful hymn. And I was thinking about that. And this is one part of the verse that says, death and curse were in our cup, O Christ was, to- was full for thee. But thou hast drained the last dark drop, tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, that bitter cup. I mean, there's a bitter cup right now in Ukraine. There's a bitter cup in Africa. There's bitter cups in Texas. There's bitter cups. There's bitter cups maybe in this room. People have, have to drink this. And there's this bitter cup. And it says here that that bitter cup, love drank it up. It drank it up. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because he loves us. And it's so hard to even comprehend that. Why do we do what we do? Why do we show up? Why do we church plant? Why do we go on mission trips? Pastor Adam's going to go to Africa next week. Why do we do this? Because love constrains us. There's people there that we see their value. Why do we show up every Sunday? Because God loves people. Love has drank it up. Now blessings are draught for me. Let's go back, and I want to close with this in Matthew 26. And let's look at verse 10 verses ahead in, in verse 26. And I want to just show you what is in Jesus' mind as he knows he's going to be heading to the Garden of Gethsemane next. He says here in verse 26, Matthew 26, 26. Now, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after thank, giving thanks, he broke it. Imagine that. It was Jesus. He created bread. He created the atoms that that make up bread and he's breaking and he's thanking God for it. Isn't that amazing? The humility and the thankfulness of Christ. The power and the authority that he has and he breaks and he thanks it. Thanks God. And this is a picture of the father breaking the body of Christ, Jesus' body at the cross and he gives thanks and he broke it and giving it to the disciples, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And after that, in verse 27, taking the cup, Giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus is thinking about. Jesus is thinking about the forgiveness of sins, the communion that that he is going to have with us. I think so many times when we are so aware of our own frailties and our own brokenness, when we've heard for years and years and years messages about how to overcome things and we face these things and we trip and we fall down flat on our face. Jesus here is thinking about the cup of forgiveness, the cup of forgiveness, the removal of that sin, the removal of that judgment, the removal of that bitterness, and that Jesus is going to drink this cup of the wrath of God that is in, in the book of Ezekiel, it's, it, it describes it as something that just tears up a person's breast and tears him to pieces. And it says that he's going to drink it, drink all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is really, this is so key. This is so important because the forgiveness of sins means this, that we can have free communion with God. We don't need to drink that cup of bitterness and judgment today because it's already been drunk full by Jesus Christ. And now there's a new cup for us. And this is the cup of communion. And this is the practical part of what I want to say as I close. You and I have a communion table this, this month, this year, since we've, since we've known Christ. We have a communion table. And this communion table is where we meet on Sundays. It's where we meet in our homes. It's where we meet in fellowship. It's a communion table. And on that communion table are not bitter cups. There may be things that people have done to us. People have failed us. We have done so much for them, maybe, and they've just continually failed us. Maybe we're like Jesus. We say, can you not just kind of hang out with me? I need you right now. I've just done everything so much for you. I've always been there for you. I just need you just for one hour with me. And then guess what happens? They fail. They're like, nope, I can't. I can't, I can't make it. The thing for us to think is, that's so unfair. And here Jesus is, his integrity, his love and forgiveness of sins. And when we sit down, we meet with that person that has betrayed us or failed us or hurt us or swindled us or have done something to us. And this happens in the church, guys. This happens in church. I mean, we hear this all the time. How many of you have heard just incredible, crazy stories about things that have happened in people's lives in the church where people have been hurt and they've been taken advantage of? And you're just like, I'll never be able to. And this is the thing as a pastor that we always face is just all the concepts and the baggage that people have when they meet you. And, and I don't tell people I'm a pastor when I first meet them because sometimes that can be the wrong foot to start in a, in a relationship. And yet the table that we meet at, that we meet at when, when someone has failed us or when a spouse has failed us or when kids fail us or whatever happens, the, the table that we meet at, that we sit down to commune at is a table of forgiveness. There's a cup of forgiveness there. And when we sit down at that table and meet with Christ, you know, you ever meet together for a holiday and there's individuals in the room that your relationship with them is a bit awkward because of experiences and things maybe you've done or maybe they've done. And you're sitting down and we're eating and guess what happens? That cup of forgiveness is what makes things right. It's what heals us. And when we sit down and we say, you know something, I've got a cup of forgiveness I'm going to drink and it's going to be sweet. It's not going to be bitter. And it's going to be something that encourages and strengthens us. Jesus here is sitting with his disciples and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I want to finish with this, that when you and I think about our relationship with God, when when you think about maybe the things that we should have done or that we didn't do, this is something that 
When we see that cup, that sweet cup of forgiveness, the blood of Christ, that finished work of Jesus Christ, it does not make me want to go out and live in sin. It does just the opposite. If we truly understand grace, if we truly understand forgiveness, if we truly understand the cup, that bitter cup that Jesus drank because he loved us, there's something that we are made up as a human being inside of us. There's, there's the construction of our soul, the, the physics of our soul, if, you, if, if I could say that, is made in such a way that when we see true grace and we see true love and we see true mercy and true, true goodness and kindness, what does it do to us? It wrecks us, doesn't it? It just makes us lay out before the Lord and say, oh God, what's, oh, oh, what a sinner I am. Like, oh, wretched man that I am. How can be, there's so much grace in my life. And this is what Thomas, this is what John Hudson Taylor did when he was an 18 year old kid. He understood the mercy and the grace of God. And he says he laid himself out before the Lord in his, up, in his little room upstairs in the attic that he was renting. And he laid himself out on his face before the Lord. He said, oh God, for all the graces and the mercy that you have given me, give me something that I can do to serve you. And yet it was still not clear in his mind that he had to do something for God. And, he, and we know that God put a calling on his life and he went out and he, he went into, into China and changed China with the gospel. When we understand the true grace and the mercy of God, when we understand the severity of God's judgment and the severity of, of, the, of, of, of human evil, and yet at the same time, that sweet cup of forgiveness, that blood of Christ, what happens is, is that it changes us, makes us a different person. It puts us in a place where, where we, we look at that temptation and we say, God, how could I do this thing in your eyes? How could I do this thing in your sight? And this, and this grace and this mercy, it just wrecks us in a good sense. It humbles us. And I think that they that have sinned much, like it says in the word of God, they that have sinned much love much. These are, this is almost paradoxical and it's almost hard to explain. But when you understand the amount of mercy that you have received, when I have received, we're in a state of astonishment and we're like, oh my God, how can I be such a recipient of this goodness of God? And what does that do? It sends us on a mission of mercy. It sends us on a mission of grace. It sends us on a mission now to love on people and say, I owe it to you to love on you because I've received so much grace. And it's not this burden that we have to do to serve God, but it's like, I gotta tell you that I was in a place too of great sin and great condemnation and, 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 and uh, judgment in my mind, and yet God was so kind and so, so merciful. Why? Because he desires communion with us. He desires communion. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires that communion. And that's what, that's what the gospel is. That's what we tell people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we think of the severity as it says in the book of Hebrews, that if people died under the judgment of the law by two or more witnesses, and how much more, having received grace and mercy, is the severity of what we're living in. God, we thank you for the beauty of your grace, the beauties of your holiness, as David said in the morning. In the womb of the morning, he said that he, he, he gazed upon the beauty of his holiness. God, your holiness is beautiful because of mercy and grace. We pray, Lord, today, if there's someone here in the room that is maybe, maybe we're drinking from the cup of wrath, maybe we're drinking from the cup, the wrong cup, 
of judgment or revenge or the cup of anger or the cup of of unforgiveness or the cup of of payback Lord that we would exchange that cup and drink the cup the sweet cup of the forgiveness of God in our life that we have been forgiven that we have been made new that we are no longer you don't count our iniquities in Psalm 32 we thank you for that if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior say yes to him today just say yes Believe on him as your savior. Not just the God that you worshiped in church when you grew up, but your personal Lord and savior. Father, we thank you, God, for this time together. We ask you that you would take these words and just sear them in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen. And let's just stand together and sing one more time that song, Behold the Lamb.